Today on the Matt Walsh Show, an asthmatic two-year-old is kicked off a plane for not complying with masking regulations, while video shows yet another woman getting followed around the grocery store and harassed by a male member of the masking cult. There's something deeply sick in the soul of America. We'll talk about that today. Also, a mayor in Ohio threatens to arrest the entire school board because of pornographic material distributed to students. And Meghan Markle and Harry are named one of the most influential people in the world, but they still just want privacy most of all. Plus, our daily cancellation and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show. We've talked a lot about the Texas law banning abortion, and that law has abortion proponents going insane, and it's all great news. Uh, it's great news because it protects babies. Also great news to say to see these people going insane, I think. But you need to be as prepared uh, as ever to talk about this issue when it comes up in conversation, as, uh, as it has so many times, I'm sure, for you over the last couple of weeks. It's one of the reasons that I wrote the foreword to the new book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion, which became an Amazon bestseller and number one in its category upon its release two weeks ago. It's an easy book to use. Uh, it tells you what to say and what not to say when the discussion um, about abortion comes up. It has proven arguments that have worked with everybody, people on the fence, abortion supporters, even Planned Parenthood workers have uh, found these arguments compelling. The book was produced by 40 Days for Life, which is the largest grassroots pro-life organization in the world. They hold peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities in 1,000 cities in 64 countries, and they've helped convert the hearts of 221 abortion clinic workers. So you know that they know what they're talking about, which is why you got to get this new book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion. Go to Amazon or get it directly from 40 Days for Life at 40daysforlife.com. We're going to begin today with a couple of incidents that will seem familiar, far too familiar, and their familiarity is precisely the problem. First, we have a, a young mother named Amanda Pendarvis, who has just uh, boarded an American Airlines flight in Dallas. Uh, Pendarvis had her two-year-old asthmatic son with her. Now, because the very young child is a very young child, and because he already has trouble breathing, he was resistant to wearing a face mask. The mother tried to put the mask on him. She also, she says, brought paperwork proving that her son had just received a negative COVID test but her earnest attempts to comply, the negative COVID test, the simple fact that the child is only two years old and clearly terrified and confused, none of that matters to American Airlines. The flight attendant took to the intercom to accuse the boy of being a non-compliant traveler, and he then had the mother and the son escorted off the plane by security. Shortly before being kicked out, another passenger took a video of Pendarvis and her son showing just how uh, the young boy was reacting to the mask. Let's just watch that for a second. I mean, it's, it's barbaric. You can hear him gasping for breath. If that clip doesn't fill you with ungodly fury, then you have no soul. Here's how bad this is. Even if the child posed a measurable risk to, to the other passengers, this treatment still could not be justified. I'm no hero myself, but I would certainly rather risk getting COVID than force a baby to wear a muzzle while he screams and gasps for breath. If that's what it takes to avoid COVID, then it's not worth avoiding. If that's what it takes for you to not get COVID, then I'd rather you just get COVID, whoever you are. So when an adult says, well, yeah, but this is in order to keep me healthy. Well, I'd rather you just not be healthy then. I'd rather you get sick. I would rather you get sick than see that. But the fact is that the child does not pose a measurable risk to anyone. He has a negative COVID test. Even if he was, even if he was positive for COVID, the, the mother could walk on the, the plane with a positive COVID test and his chances of, of spreading the, the disease are still very, very low. Meanwhile, everybody on the plane, all of the adults who want to be vaccinated are vaccinated and they're all wearing masks. I ask you, what is the chance that a COVID negative two-year-old could spread COVID to a mask wearing vaccinated adult? It's not a 1% chance. It's not a 0.1% chance. Is it a 0.001, maybe a 0.000001? Whatever the minuscule, infinitesimal, not even mathematically quantifiable risk, it is not worth doing this to a child to avoid it. In fact, if you think it's worth doing this to a child to avoid it, 
then you are scum. You're a bad person. I have no respect for you as a human being. And that's the nicest thing I can say. I'd be fired if I told you what I really think. Now, we should note that American Airlines has mostly confirmed the account given by the mother. Uh, They said in a statement, On September 13th, American Airlines Flight 1284 returned to the gate prior to departure from Dallas-Fort Worth to deplane a party on board. Initial reports indicate the party refused to comply with crew member instructions to remain seated and wear a face mask securely over their nose and mouth. After agreeing to adhere to federal face covering requirements, all individuals were rebooked rebooked for travel on the next flight to Colorado Springs. Can you imagine that? The asthmatic two-year-old refused to follow federal face covering requirements. Forget getting kicked off the plane. He should be arrested. Now, I say that sarcastically, but the troubling fact is that millions of Americans at this point might actually wish to take it that far. Here's one American, uh, for example, who, who might. Uh, we can only imagine how he feels about, about little babies who don't wear masks. And we still don't know much of, of the, the background of this uh, video we're about to play, but, but the video itself tells us everything that we need to know. This is a man with what appears to be a severe testosterone deficiency, and I'm very worried about him uh, just from a medical standpoint. But he's at Target. Um, as so many men at Target tend to, to have that problem, harassing a female shopper who is not wearing a mask. You'll note that the man has a mask, also a sticker bragging about his vaccinated status. So he's fully protected and yet terrified of the woman who, if not for him choosing to stalk and harass her, wouldn't have come anywhere near him. He's so afraid of her, so concerned that she could be a danger to his health that he's following her around the store yelling at her. Watch this. Immunity a threat, but... Really? You're vaccinated? Yes, I am. Oh, you are? Because I already have natural immunity. Yeah. You're not going to follow me around in the store and point at me to people. So I will video you. So we have a state regulation that... Uh... And it's not a law. You're an idiot. Yeah. Oh, oh, so you're going to insult me now. So my Just wife is a... Oh, is she? What are you doing? I'm this is between, this is between the two of us. So what? Leave her alone. You got your mask on your face. I'm sure you're vaccinated too. He is. He has a badge that says it. I do. Uh, So my wife is a doctor who specializes in infectious disease. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you think that she just doesn't know what she's talking about? It's her choice. It's her choice. Just leave her alone. No, there's a store requirement and a state requirement. It's not her choice. It's not your job. It's all of our job as a community to come together. You're not even shopping. Sure You're going around to shamed. harass people. Then make sure that people are shamed. He, when, you're he, he was following when they put the me. rest of us at along. risk. By publicly shaming me? The public yeah, you're making a bad decision. You're a bad American. I am. I totally am. And I yes. voted for Trump. Yeah, you're a Yay! bad person. You're a bad person for doing it. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's no way this pot-bellied dork has a wife. Yeah, I find that claim suspicious as well. I also find it suspicious that it's almost always women getting harassed in these kinds of videos. I'm not one to pull the sexism card. I don't pull it lightly. But it cannot be a coincidence that the effeminate bumpkins in in, in the mask cult always choose to take their helpless nerd rage out on women. I walk around maskless everywhere and have very rarely been confronted and never in this way. I've been waiting for that. I got to be honest with you. I've been waiting for it. I wish a guy like this would come up to me. I'm hoping. Like, bring it on. On the two or three occasions when, when anyone has chosen to make an issue out of the fact that I'm not wearing a mask, they always back down and slink away like the gutless worms they are as soon as I tell them to piss off and leave me alone. You know, one wonders whether the men of the mask cult have a certain amount of sexual rage and jealousy, and perhaps they're using this issue as an excuse to vent it. But I'll leave the psychoanalysis to their therapists, and I'm sure they all have therapists. Uh, The greater problem, perhaps, speaking of men, is that we never see any men among the bystanders, bystanders step in. Just once, I wish one of these videos would end with a real man entering the frame to give the harasser two choices. Shut your mouth and leave or have your mask forcibly removed from your face and shoved up where the sun don't shine. Metaphorically, I mean. I would never advocate violence publicly. As I said at the beginning, neither of these incidents are shocking or unique. We've seen this time and time again all throughout the last year and a half. And it's why I wish we would all spend, and I'm guilty of this too, definitely, 
But I wish we'd all spend less time complaining about the Fauci's and the Bidens and more time talking about the average Americans who have revealed themselves to be paranoid freaks and cowards and power-hungry narcissists and pathetic, trembling little snitches. Biden has no power on his own. No power on his own. He needs the flight attendant on that American Airlines flight. He needs that curly-haired weirdo at Target. He needs the snitches and the cowards to do their part. What if every flight attendant in the country said, no, we are not going to force two-year-olds to wear masks. We're not going to kick toddlers off of our planes. It's not going to happen. None of us are going to do it. What if every business owner said, no, we're not going to force vaccines on our employees. We're not going to force them to inject any substance into their bodies. No matter how we personally feel about uh, whether they should or not. What if every man in the country said, no, we are not going to follow women around the grocery store and shout at them for not wearing masks. And in fact, we'll step in and defend any woman who is treated that way. Well, then I'll tell you what happens. The whole edifice falls apart. Because all of these policies and regulations, they're all built on a house of cards. And the house of cards is called compliance. They are all built on the assumption that we will all comply, or at least a majority of us. Compliance goes away, and none of it works. Every flight attendant says that. What are they going to do? Shut down the entire airline industry? Ground every plane permanently? They're not going to do that. They're not going to do it. Compliance goes away, and none of it works. The good news is that the United States was founded on non-compliance with tyranny. It was founded by men who said, we're not going to go along with this. With tyranny, oppression, we would rather die than that. We'll put everything on the line. That's the good news. I mean, that's our heritage nationally. The bad news is that the United States, as it was founded, is gone. And in its place is this old husk. Populated by fat guys at Target screaming at women for not wearing masks. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, researchers have determined that email phishing attacks and brute force attacks are the two most popular and successful methods cyber criminals use on corporate networks. These attacks are simple to attempt, difficult to detect, and they can come with big rewards for cyber criminals. It's important for that reason to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day, we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cyber criminal could harm what's yours. That's your finances, your credit. Um, and that's why it's a good thing that there is LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats uh, that you might find on the internet. For example, your social security number could be for sale on the dark web. Many things that uh, on your own you would never know were happening until it's too late. And if they detect that your information has potentially been compromised, they will send you an alert uh, to let you know about it. And if anything does happen, they also have identity restoration specialists that will help you take care of it as well. This is why... If you don't have LifeLock, you need to get it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours, yours, with LifeLock by Norton. Join now and save 25% off your first year by going to LifeLock.com Walsh. That's LifeLock.com Walsh for 25% off. All right, so we'll start with this. Uh, you know, that was, it's, 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 we go from, it was a little depressing. So let's, uh, let's brighten the mood a little bit. And go to something that that's encouraging and maybe can give us a little bit of hope. So, uh, reading from the Daily Mail now, it says a, a, a mayor in Ohio has threatened the city's entire school board with criminal charges unless they resign over a highly sexual writing, uh, writing prompts that teachers gave to underage students. Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert delivered the harsh uh, ultimatum during a uh, school board meeting on Monday, garnering loud applause from outraged parents who also spoke out on the issue. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about these uh, about this writing assignment that has been called pornographic, and it is. But first, let's just let, let's hear from this again is uh, Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert 
And uh, let's hear him talking to the school board. Listen. Members of the board, my name is Craig Schubert. I'm the mayor of this city. It has come to my attention that your educators are distributing essentially what is child pornography in the classroom. I've spoken to a judge this evening. She's already confirmed that. So I'm going to give you a simple choice. You either choose to resign from this Board of Education or you will be charged. Thank you. That is, that almost brings a tear to my eye. You know, I think, I think we've, we've added to the list of acceptable reasons for, for men to cry. Tears of joy in response to that. I'd say uh, uh, Mayor Craig Schubert, I don't know anything else about him. I don't know where he stands on any other issue, but I would vote for him for president tomorrow. If it were up to me, I'd, allow, I'd make him president of the United States tomorrow if I could, without knowing anything else about him. Because just that alone tells me that he, that puts him uh, above almost every other Republican at every level of government everywhere in the country. That he is willing to do that. That he's taking this issue that seriously and is going to use all of the power at his disposal to protect kids and to put an end to this degeneracy and filth in the school system. Let's go back to the Daily Mail to see what um, assignment he's talking about. It says, at issue are the highly inappropriate writing prompts distributed to students in the liberal arts writing class at Hudson High School, including, here are the writing prompts, given to kids by adults. Write a sex scene you wouldn't show your mom. Describe your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs. And write an X-rated Disney scenario. Uh, that those were some of the writing prompts. Um, it was, and then continuing the article says, it was unclear whether the inappropriate written material given to school children truly violates child pornography laws, as the mayor claimed. But nevertheless, parents in the district were outraged. I think it certainly does. Um, Ohio law does prohibit sending harmful or obscene material to or sharing it with a minor though this statute usually refers to sexting or sending obscene images. Um, The relevant statute exempts obscene material that is presented for bona fide educational purposes, leaving the legal questions around the controversy murky. Uh, Yeah, well, they they, they can sort that out, but he talked to a judge, and this is the right way to handle it. This is exactly how we have to handle it. We have to start talking about it in this way. You know, for, for me, it's very simple because we've we, we've kind of we, we've granted this exemption to teachers and people in the in the public school system for no good reason. You know, we've kind of waved the wand and say, and we've said, well, they're exempt from all of the normal rules of decency that we apply to everybody else. So if um. If there was a grown adult who, you know, your 14-year-old daughter met online and you got to look at the, the messages going back and forth between this grown adult and the 14-year-old daughter. And uh, the adult said to your daughter, uh, you know, w- w- was, was trying to prompt your daughter to write X-rated things. I mean, what, what if he had said, uh, describe your, your, the favorite, your, your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs? I mean, what if this was some some creepy pervert online, an adult, talking to your 14-year-old daughter? That exact prompt, giving her, quote-unquote, writing prompts that he could read and enjoy. There would be no question that it's illegal, that this is the sexual harassment and abuse of a child. He's not going to be able to hide behind any, well, it's for, for educational purposes. I was worried about her, uh, you know, creative writing. I was, I was trying to help her build her creative writing skills. He wouldn't be able to hide behind that. And yet, if it, if it happens in a classroom, it's okay. Why? You know, no, if anything, 
it's worse in a classroom. I mean, it can't really get worse, but if, if it's the fact that if it's in a classroom, if that affects the severity of the crime at all, it's only to make it worse. Because these are adults that you have entrusted your children with. And their job is to educate your children. And when they use that trust and that role to sexually indoctrinate, abuse and harass kids, it makes it even worse. So this is exactly what should happen. Not just for this, but uh, you know, d- distributing sex ed material with unnecessarily graphic pictures and depictions and descriptions. We, we, we all know the story. I've, I've talked about many of them on the show over the years. You know, sex ed for middle schoolers. It talks about masturbation and sodomy and anal sex and all kinds of things. That's, that's happening in schools all across the country. And this is the point that I've always made about it. That these conversations, if you were to take them out of the classroom and put them on the playground between an adult and a child, or put them, any, put them online or anywhere else, we would, all of us, unquestioningly agree that this is sexual abuse and that person's a pervert and a pedophile and should be locked in prison. So the only thing that I would add to the, what the mayor said here is, uh, is yeah, certainly the, the Board of Education should resign or be arrested. And all of the teachers who distributed this and who were involved in this, every single one of them should be, should be in prison. They shouldn't be able to hide behind, well, it was the curriculum. I had no choice. The curriculum called for me to solicit X-rated material from 14-year-olds. Mayor Craig Schubert, 2024. I've decided he's my, uh, Ron DeSantis, I, I still like DeSantis, but for me right now, Schubert is, uh, is just, has just gone to the lead. All right, speaking of uh, the sexual abuse of minors, yesterday, four gymnasts testified about the abuse they suffered at the hands of Larry Nasser, who's the Olympic team doctor who's now in, in prison, uh, where all sexual abusers should be, including the ones in the public school system. And specifically, they were talking about how the FBI failed to uh, help them or, or even help to cover up the crime. So all of their accounts were uh, pretty shocking and important. I'll, I'll play one of them. This is Michaela Maroney talking about her experiences and uh, especially uh, the FBI's reaction or lack of reaction, I should say. Listen. Good morning. Thank you, Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Judiciary Committee for inviting me to speak today. As most of you are probably aware, I was molested by the U.S. gymnastics national team and Olympic team doctor Larry Nassar. And in actuality, he turned out to be more of a pedophile than he was a doctor. What I'm trying to bring to your attention today is something incredibly disturbing and illegal. After telling my entire story of abuse to the FBI in the summer of 2015, not only did the FBI not report my abuse, but when they eventually documented my report 17 months later, they made entirely false claims about what I said. After reading the Office of Inspector General's OIG report, I was shocked and deeply disappointed at this narrative they chose to fabricate. They chose to lie about what I said and protect a serial child molester rather than protect not only me, but countless others. Now, as I said, she was not the only one to tell the same story about the FBI. In fact, we have one more clip. We'll play the other one, too, uh, because this is important. This is Maggie Nichols with a disturbingly similar story to tell. Listen. Despite these findings of serious and criminal misconduct throughout the FBI, USAG, and USOPC, no accountability has occurred. An important question remains, perhaps the most important question, why? Why would the FBI agents lie to OIG investigators? Why would the FBI not properly document evidence that was received? Why would the FBI agent be interested in the USAG presidency? These questions remain unanswered. And the survivors of Larry Nassar have a right to know why their well-being was placed in the jeopardy by these individuals who chose not to do their jobs. To date, no one from the FBI 
the US OPC or USAG has faced federal charges other than Larry Nassar. For many hundreds of survivors of Larry Nassar, this hearing is one of our last opportunities to get justice. We ask that you do what is in your power to ensure those that engaged in wrongdoing are held accountable under the law. Yeah, these, I wish we could say these claims are, are shocking, but given what we know about the FBI at this point, they really aren't. I mean, what's being alleged here is the FBI essentially participating in a cover-up of the, uh, the serial abuse, sexual abuse of, of kids. We have to understand the corruption in our government the rot in our government is incredibly deep at every single level, especially in the federal government. Which is why in 2024, there's not, there's not going to be any Republican who can solve all of these problems. But at a minimum, we talk about what we should be looking for in a, in a 2024 Republican candidate. One of the number one things we should be looking for is someone who we have reason to believe will get in there and start cleaning these people out. Start sifting through all of this and rooting through all of the corruption and um, holding these people accountable or at, at, a, at a minimum getting them out. The, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a more wordy way of saying drain the swamp, which is what we heard about in 2016. And um, I, I think it was, a, it was a good plan. It's a good motto. It's a good plan. It's exactly what needs to happen. It's very swampy in D.C. and we do need to drain it. Problem is that uh, Trump got in there in 2016. No matter how you feel about Trump, there's no denying the fact that he didn't drain anything. He, didn't, he did not drain the swamp at all. He didn't get rid of any of these people. He didn't clean up any of this. And he didn't try. So you can't say, well, he tried his best. No, he really didn't. I mean, what, what, what did he do? Where, where's the evidence that he tried to clean up any of this mess? To locate uh, any of this corruption and expel the people responsible for it. No, he didn't. Because Trump was almost entirely concerned with uh, people that were, you know, personal slights and personal attacks against himself and responding to those. And that's, it's fine to respond to personal attacks, but we're also going to need a Republican who's, who's focused on a, on a more, on a broader scale, like cleaning up the government. Uh, I, I think there's good reason to, 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 to believe, in fact, we know from what we've seen Ron DeSantis do in Florida, that he will do that. Even better, that mayor in Ohio. I mean, we know he's going he's to start arresting the school board. It's that kind of aggressiveness that we need. If we're not going to get that, then you might as well not have a Republican at all. You know, if, if a Republican's not going to start cleaning this up, then you, we may as well not, you might as well just have a Democrat. Because then you have a Republican sitting atop this whole mountain of corruption and filth. He's sitting atop this, this decaying garbage heap. And if he doesn't get out a shovel and start shoveling this stuff away, then he's going to be ineffectual as a president. And, and once he leaves, that garbage heap remains. All right. Uh, what else we got here? Well, this was interesting. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, we know about her at the Met Gala saying tax the rich. There are some people who've uh, who've claimed that, well, AOC says tax the rich. She's rich. What about that? And she actually responded on uh, on Instagram to that charge of, you know, people say, people argue that you want to tax the rich, but you're also rich. And AOC says, well, yeah, but when I say rich people, I don't mean myself. Here's her explanation. I mean, this is the trick that people use all the time, right? They want you to think that when we talk about rich, we're talking about a doctor or a lawyer instead of someone with hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. That's what we mean by rich. Oh, that's the, (laughs) 
That's that's this is the trick people pull all the time, holding me to my own standard. I I know your game. I know what you're up to. Expecting me to have one standard. This is a, this is a misogynistic ploy. It's the patriarchy at it again. Oh no, the rich are just however. As as my wealth grows, rich is always one step above wherever I am. That, that's the real answer. That's why Bernie Sanders, for years and years, I mean decades, was ranting about millionaires and billionaires. And then this most recent go-round, then this most recent campaign, you started to notice that he wasn't talking about millionaires anymore. He was only talking about billionaires. Why is that? Well, because he became a millionaire. And so now, well, we're not worried about millionaires. We're worried about billionaires. That, that's, that's the real answer. By the way, you should know that when we talk about the top 1% of income earners, and usually Democrats like Bernie Sanders, they're always railing against the top 1%, the one percenters. We've heard about that for years. Well, to get into the top 1% of income earners, you need to be earning, I think it's, don't quote me on this off the top of my head. I think it's like $500,000 a year or something like that. You, you don't need to be a millionaire to be in the top 1% of income earners. And that, you know, that by any measure, uh, if, if you're in the top 1% of income earners, in any, you know, wherever you live, then you're, you're rich. Because rich is always comparative. It's always relative. You're always going to be rich relative to everybody else. Um, you know, even people in this country, if you're in the top 80% of income earners, you're going to be rich compared to the vast majority of the globe. Compared to someone living in a hut in some poverty-stricken area of India, for example, you're going to, you're going to be, to be in the top 80% makes you rich. So it's always relative. In this country, though, yeah, 1%. Yeah, that's got to, that has to qualify as rich. But you don't need to be a multimillionaire. Far from it. And of course, as I, as I tried to explain at the beginning of the week, um, tax the rich, yeah, absolutely. Of course we should tax the rich. I, I, I'm not aware of it. I've never heard anyone argue that we shouldn't tax the rich at all. I don't think anyone's arguing that. I, I haven't heard anyone argue that, that the rich should not pay more than everybody else. Of course they should. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they should pay a higher percentage. Now we're getting into, should we have a progressive tax rate or not? But even if, they pay, if we have a flat tax and they pay the same percentage, they're still paying a lot more um, as a, as a, in terms of, of you know, the, the overall amount of money. So I haven't heard anyone anyone argue that. And we do tax the rich. And the rich pay almost all of the taxes in this country. There are a great many Americans who, when it comes to income tax, pay nothing at all. Now, to me, that seems unfair. You know, if we're going to have an income tax, and I think you can make a really good argument for having no income tax at all, but if we're going to have an income tax, everybody with an income should participate. That's the real unfairness here. And as I said, I don't, I don't care. You want to you you raise Jeff Bezos' taxes? It doesn't does bother me. I don't care. I'm not going to lose any sleep at night if you raise taxes on the CEO of Amazon. But as a matter of record and as a matter of being accurate, we have to say that he already actually does pay taxes, just so you know. And the other problem is that when the government comes in and takes money from rich people, okay, but now the government has that money. So when I think about Jeff Bezos and his billions of dollars, you know, either he's going to have those billions or the government will have it. I don't trust the government with anyone's money. They rake in trillions of dollars a year in tax revenue, and they squander almost all of it. 
And many times squandering is the, the best we could hope for, is that they'll just waste it or burn it and put it all in a pile and burn it. Because a lot of because they also use a good portion of that money to advance an ideological and cultural agenda that I absolutely oppose. They're taking a certain portion of it and giving it to Planned Parenthood, for example. And that's you know, you, you hear you, you know conservatives. Not every conservative is libertarian when it comes to taxes, and that's perfectly fine. But when you hear conservatives argue for raising taxes on the rich, um, in principle, I don't have necessarily an issue with that argument. But you, but you do realize it's it's our government that's going to end up with that money. That's what that's what raising the taxes mean. Now they have it. Do you trust them with it? Yeah, you don't trust Jeff, Jeff trust Jeff Bezos with his money, but. Do you trust Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with it? Do you trust Joe Biden with it? I don't. All right. Um, Prince, this is from the Evening Standard. It says, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have said they are humbled to be featured in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People list. The couple addressed the milestone on the Archwell website uh, following the news. Their statement read, Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, are not only humbled to be part of this year's Time 100 through the words of and uh, a friend and partner, Jose Andres, uh, but uh, blah, blah, blah. Who cares what they say? Okay. They were, they were named one of the most influential people on the globe. Here's the cover picture there. And Harry, this is a very sad story. Harry has become the literal picture of a beta male. He's, he's, he's become, look at him there. You see in the picture, you've, you've got Meghan Markle kind of standing, proud, broad-shouldered. And then Prince Harry is crouched behind her, clinging onto her shoulder. This is what he's become. Was it worth it, Harry? That's the question. But really, I shouldn't be commenting on this because we know that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, the one thing they want in this world, most of all, is uh, their privacy. They just want their privacy to be respected. So they're starring on the on the, uh, yet again another magazine cover. They've been on about uh, fifty-seven magazine covers in the last two and a half months, but they just want their privacy. Won't all of you please leave them alone? Fine, come to their house, take the picture for the magazine cover. They'll issue their statement, but then leave them alone, please. These are very private and humble people. As far as them being influential, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. What, what are they influencing? Who are they influencing? Is there anyone who wants to step up to the plate here and say that they've been influenced by Meghan and Harry? In what way? Influenced to the point of nausea, perhaps. Maybe that kind of influence. All right, one other story here. This is an interesting one. I'll uh, get away from, from politics for a moment. This is from The Hill. It says, a first-of-its-kind startup officially launched on Monday with a bold mission that pushes the boundaries of flora and fauna conservation to de-extinct the woolly mammoth. Colossal, a bioscience and genetics company with $15 million raised in private investment, aims to revive animal species that have long been ex- classified as extinct, beginning with the woolly mammoth, an ancestor of today's elephants that died out during the Holocene epoch uh, over 11,000 years ago. Uh, Epoch, whatever. Company leadership intends to resurrect the woolly mammoth using genetic sequencing and editing technology. Um, From there, Colossal will cultivate a de-extinction library of animals to resuscitate into the modern world. It also aims to harvest DNA and embryos from currently endangered species to prevent similar extinction patterns. So this is is what they're going to do. They're actually going to try to do it. Make a woolly mammoth and plop them down up there in the Arctic. I guess the most obvious question is why? Why do we feel the need to do this? Haven't we already seen from the science fiction films how this works out? And But you could also make the argument that clearly society is heading downhill. We're heading towards catastrophe and, um, and an apocalypse anyway. And so if this is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure novel, we have to decide how humanity is going to go extinct, then, um, you know, this is, this is one of the more interesting and attractive propositions, I suppose, to bring all these prehistoric 
creatures back to, uh, to life and then they can destroy, you know, maybe that's one way to do it. This is the kind of, you know, th- there's, there's the more exotic version of animal conservation where it's not really conservation. We're bringing animals back to life. I think, cl- I think most people will agree. I hope that that's a few steps too, too far. But even normal conservation, I think, goes too far sometimes. And you're, most people are not ready for this conversation. But, for example, pandas shouldn't exist. Do you know how much effort human beings have put into keeping pandas, these totally useless animals who cannot survive on their own? You know how much effort we've put into keeping these animals alive? And why? Because they're cute. That's the only reason. Millions of animal species go extinct, and then we select certain ones, and we say, well, those are cute. Let's keep them around. Pandas have been trying to make themselves extinct for decades. They don't want to mate anymore. They just hang out up in the trees waiting to die off. And we're doing everything we can to keep them around. I have a real grudge against pandas, but that's a story for another time. All right, let's go to reading the uh, YouTube comments. This theocratic fascist dictatorship is on its way. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. We the sweet baby gang. That's it. We're not going to play the whole song. Come on. After all this buildup, we play five seconds of the song. All right. Um, Maximilian says, quote, when you start thinking that you're really good at something, just remember there's a three-year-old kid in China that will do it 10 times better than you ever will, unquote. Maximilian M.K. Jill. Wait, wait a second. Did you just quote yourself? So the user Maximilian M.K. Gill quotes himself and then, de- okay. You're, you're banned from the show. What are, you, what are you doing? Jerry D. White says, would Matt be willing to do a reaction video to the Matrix Resur- Resurrections trailer? Not going to do a whole video about it. I did watch the trailer. Uh, you know, I, I, Before I watched it, because they're coming out with a, a Matrix 4 now, there was, there was the first Matrix, which is the only Matrix that exists as far as I'm concerned, and the other two, which were terrible. Now they're coming out with a fourth one. Now, you, you have to understand already, there is, there is zero chance... Okay, just so you know, zero chance that the movie is good. There has never been a case where you had a movie and then one or two sequels that were terrible and then another sequel that was good. It doesn't work that way. It's already difficult enough to think of examples of good sequels. I mean, in the history of Hollywood sequels, there have been like four that were good. Um, But there's certainly never been an example where the franchise takes a nosedive and then you come out with another movie and, uh, and it's actually good. It doesn't, just doesn't work that way. So you already know that it's going to be bad. But I, there's all this hype about the trailer. I watched the trailer and I, I just thought I didn't like it at all. It's an entirely different aesthetic for one thing. The tone, everything about it feels different. But what they've done is, um, as far as the plot, from what I can tell... It, they're redoing the first Matrix. So in the movie, based on the trailer, Neo is back in the Matrix again, and he's forgotten all about his past. And so now he needs a new Morpheus to come and give him the, the choice between pills. And so it's gonna, we're going to redo the whole the first movie again. Um, I, I don't see the point to it. I know the point for the movie studios is to make millions of dollars, and I'm sure they'll do that, but... As a fan, I don't know why you give your money and sit down to watch that story when you know that it's going to be... It's an inferior, pale imitation of the first movie. Um, Seth says, I hope that if Matt ever did go to the Met Gala, he'd wear a shirt that said, Taxation is Theft. No, I'd wear an SBG shirt, of course, which which is on sale now uh, for the low price of $96. And you should go pick one up. I wouldn't wear a Taxation is Theft shirt because taxation is not theft. You know, I'm not, I'm not an anarchist. I believe that we do need some kind of government, and I've never heard a compelling proposal for how we can maintain a government without taxes. So there have to be taxes. 
I think there are too many taxes. I, I, I think the taxes are too high in most cases. I think the money is spent in the wrong way, but taxation itself as a concept is not theft. You might be able to argue that some taxation is theft. I, I might even agree that the income tax is theft. Um, not taxation itself, but the income tax with the withholding system. The idea that the government can just dip into your paycheck and take your money. As it stands right now, the government goes into your, your paycheck and takes a portion of your check before you get your hands on it. So they take what they want and they give you the rest. And that's the system we've had ever since the withholding system was put in place uh, decades ago. I, I think you could make a very good argument against that. But um, as a general principle, no. Another comment says, the part where Matt pauses uh, for the Moist Meat sponsor, certified classic. No, it's, it's Moink Meat. It's not Moist Meat. I think you know that. Uh, another comment says, today I learned Sweet Daddy Walsh and I both hate the same kind of events. If there's no activity or something to do, it's a nightmare. I don't want to mill around exchanging small talk with people I don't know or like. Yeah, um, I think that's a, that's an introvert thing. It's, it's also a man thing. Women just do better in those kinds of uh, situations. It's like when women get together, like my, if my wife gets together with her friends, they'll kind of, you know, they'll just like sit around talking for, for 17 hours in a row and won't do anything. But for men... You know, we need, like, you get together and you watch the game, right? You, you, or you, you play poker. Like, you need some central activity. Um, and then you can build the conversation around that. Uh, and finally, Magnum says, you're not protecting children, Walsh. You're merely trying to impose your narrow views on them and make them act and appear in a way that you find acceptable. It's no wonder you hate our education system because the education system clearly failed you. Uh, yeah, my, my narrow views on children, like my narrow view that biology exists, my narrow view that if you're a male with a penis and XY chromosomes, you're not a female. All of the narrow views that you can find in any biology textbook for second graders, yeah, that's, that's my narrow view. Also that, um, you know, girls should not be subjected to the presence of, of, of boys in their locker room. They should get privacy. Another narrow view of mine. You're, you're right. Yeah, th th those, are, those are narrow views in a certain way. And I do want to impose them on, on children. I want to impose them on the entire world if I could. I would love to impose basic sanity on everyone. If I could do that, I would. Guilty as charged. Say, you know, the past couple of weeks have been demoralizing for Americans everywhere. Last Thursday, Biden announced his plan to mandate vaccines for all companies with over 100 employees or test them for COVID at least once a week. The Daily Wire has over 100 employees ourselves and is refusing to subject their employees to this violation of their personal medical freedom. For this, Daily Wire could face up to $14,000 for each violation. And I can't think of a better reason to let the fines pile up than for opposing medical tyranny and the erasure of freedom. That's why we're calling on all who are listening to help The Daily Wire fight this obscene and tyrannical mandate. If you join as a Daily Wire member right now, you'll be supplying the resources needed to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code do not comply at checkout for 25% off. Also, Daily Wire's mission has always been to put the facts first, which is why The Morning Wire was created uh, to serve exactly that need. It's the, it's the daily morning show dedicated to bringing you all the news you need to know without any spin or Hidden Agenda. It's the only daily podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're working overtime to make sure fact-based news still has a platform, we need your help to keep it trending towards number one. So subscribe and start listening now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. But wait, there's more. Big news. Daily Wire is starting an official e-commerce division of our company, and we're now searching for a vice president of e-commerce to join our team in Nashville, Tennessee. In this exceptional leadership opportunity, you will oversee the Daily Wire division that birthed the legendary Leftist Tears Tumblr. You know what you'll also be able to do? You'll be able to sell the Sweet Baby Gang t-shirts. 
Using our, your autonomy and uh, e-commerce expertise, you and your team will be the force behind Daily Wire's e-commerce presence and consumer experience, expressing the full creativity, wit, and wisdom that will encompass the Daily Wire brand and the Sweet Baby Gang brand, most importantly. If you think you've got what it takes to be the newest critical addition to the Daily Wire leadership team and promulgate the mission of the Sweet Baby Gang slash the Daily Wire through e-commerce, we want to hear from you. For, four de- for full details on the responsibilities and requirements of this position and to apply, visit dailywire.com slash careers. Our full list of current openings on the Daily Wire team can be found there as well. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. On Saturday night, boxing fans who were willing to pay $50 for the pay-per-view due presumably to undiagnosed mental illness on their part were treated to the spectacle of 44-year-old former UFC champion uh, Vitor Belfort fighting 59-year-old Evandra Holyfield. The fight went exactly as you'd imagine that it would go, given that one of the men involved will soon start collecting Social Security. Holyfield stumbled and bumbled around the ring uh, for a few minutes before getting knocked out. The once great boxer is still in great shape for a man of his advanced age, and he could certainly still kick the crap out of me, which is why I wouldn't be doing this segment if he was sitting in the room with me, but he's not. But he's uh, way too old to be in the boxing ring. The fight never should have been allowed to happen. Nobody should have paid to watch it. And Holyfield is lucky that he's escaping without any major injuries. Speaking of things that shouldn't have been allowed to happen, the very next night, less than 24 hours after a man pushing 60 got chased around a boxing ring for the sick pleasure of people who enjoy watching elder abuse, the 63-year-old Madonna stood on stage at the VMAs in an age-appropriate coat only to strip it off and reveal the horrifying dominatrix gear underneath. She then turned around to show off her thong, which was accentuating what appeared to be her prosthetically enhanced buttocks. She then hobbled off the stage and drove to Denny's, where she received 15% off the bill with her AARP discount. Of course, I'm just kidding. Madonna hasn't eaten a full meal since 1983. It has been a week full of strange geriatric spectacles, and it's not over. On Friday, Clint Eastwood will release his latest film. At the age of 91, he directs and stars in a movie called Cry Macho which is about a grizzled ex-rodeo star who ends up escorting a young boy across Mexico for some reason or another while bad guys chase them uh, close behind. From what I've read, the film depicts Eastwood, at various points, beating a guy up, riding and taming a wild Mustang, and even attracting the attention of a young, beautiful woman who at one point begs him to uh, you know, jump in the sack with her. Eastwood is, again, 91 years old. The movie we should note is based on a novel about a past-his-prime rodeo star, but in the novel, past-his-prime means 38 years old. Eastwood is old enough to be the great-grandfather of the character that his character is based on. It all sounds quite silly and a little sad, but still not as sad as the recent De Niro movie, The Irishman, from a couple years ago, where De Niro, in his late 70s, portrays a tough gangster in his 30s. Somewhat infamously, the role requires the nearly 80-year-old De Niro playing the 30-something-year-old tough guy to physically manhandle and intimidate a shopkeeper who shoved his daughter. The scene is unintentionally hilarious. Let's, uh, let's watch that now. That's, that's him, right? Stay here, stay here. Frank, sorry, but your kid was out of line. I only did Push my daughter. I only... Oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 All right, so you can see. You can see the young girl looking on in horror because she's afraid that grandpa will break his hip doing that. And get used to that sort of thing. There's a new action-packed Indiana Jones coming out this year, starring Harrison Ford at 80 years old. We'll be able to spend a whole 90 minutes watching an actor born during the Roosevelt administration square off against bad guys who will all obligingly agree to be physically defeated by a man who they could knock over with a feather. Um, Hopefully, the movie will be out soon, but production was halted for a time because Harrison Ford broke his shoulder during filming. Why did he break his shoulder? Well, because, again, he's 80 years old. Look, it's not my intention to take cheap shots at these people. I, I believe in respecting my elders. It's just difficult sometimes when they're prancing around in a leather thong on stage. In fact, 
I think all of this is a symptom of our culture's lack of respect for aging. We refuse to acknowledge that aging is a reality at all. That's how we end up with a 59-year-old boxer and 80-year-old action stars and 63-year-old half-naked pop stars. It's also how we end up with a 78-year-old president. In fact, if you follow the presidential chain of succession, three of the four, Kamala Harris aside, are nearly 80 or above 80. The average age in the Senate is 63, and that makes them sound younger than they really are. It's actually the oldest Senate in history, with a good portion of the highest ranking and most influential senators pushing 90. Nancy Pelosi over in the House is practically a teenager at 81 in comparison to, you know, some of her colleagues. Meanwhile, it should be mentioned that our pandemic response has been guided for a year and a half by Anthony Fauci, who turned 80 in December. So what is happening here? We're a country run not by the older, but by the very elderly. How is that happening? And how does it happen, especially in a culture that worships youth? You would think, if anything, we'd be making the opposite mistake. You'd think we'd have lowered the presidential age limit and put a 14-year-old in the White House by now. There seems to be a contradiction or a tension between our worship of youth and our political and cultural institutions being led by people who statistically will probably be dead of old age within five years. But the apparent contradiction disappears when you spend a little more time thinking about it. The common thread is that we hate the idea of aging. We hate the reality of aging. And we, again, absolutely refuse to acknowledge that that reality exists or to take it into account. Even now, you'll still hear people, even critics of Biden, who insist that there's nothing necessarily wrong with electing a 78-year-old to the White House. 78-year-olds are just as capable as anybody else. Age is just a number, they say. It's a coincidence that this 78-year-old is suffering the exact sort of mental and physical decline that you would expect any 78-year-old to suffer if put into that position. This, we have decided, is how we respect and honor older people. By pretending that they're not older. By pretending that they can still do all of the things that they could do 50 years ago. By electing them president and clapping when they take their clothes off on stage. And pretending not to find it silly when they make movies about themselves beating people up at the age of 91. We also respect older people by not asking them about their age. Because your age, the number of years you've been alive, is embarrassing for some reason. And we uh, do it by congratulating elderly women who use collagen and silicone to approximate the appearance of women half their age. But this is all the opposite of respecting your elders. You can't respect that which you pretend does not exist. Part of respect, by definition, is recognition. You cannot respect someone of an advanced age if you refuse to recognize their advanced age and what it means. It's not hard to see why our culture has taken this turn. We're terrified of aging. And we would rather elect a 78-year-old president than admit that 78-year-olds are too old to be president. We're terrified of that because we're terrified of death. Age and death are inextricably tied to each other. The older you get, the closer you are to death. Death becomes more and more a part of your life as you age. Your friends and family start to die. Parts of yourself start to die. Your youthful looks, your athletic ambitions, many of your physical talents dwindle over time until they're extinguished. Our response to this process, and it's a sad process, is to deny it completely. To say, age is just a number, you got to... It's not just a number. It is a physical reality. But the honorable and dignified approach is to embrace this process. Because if you embrace it, then you earn something in exchange. You earn wisdom and insight and understanding. Cultures that really respect their elders, they don't turn them into athletes or pop stars or action heroes or even presidents but they turn them into wise counselors, village elders, people whose depth and breadth of experience have granted them a certain perception and a certain awareness that the rest of us lack. That's how you honor aging and and the aged. And that is why Evander Holyfield is canceled. Had to cancel someone at the end. I wasn't sure who. It's got to be him. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Gavin Newsom survives his recall election. Nicki Minaj shows the political realignment that's going on. And AOC reveals herself to be an establishment shill. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.